0: Growing up in a, in a broken home and uh, growing up fatherless, uh, sports was the closest thing that I had to a family. My coaches, they were like the father I never had. Uh, the teammates that I, I, I played with, they were like my brothers. Uh, we were together all the time. I mean, we were in practices, we were traveling, we were in games. I mean, it was... So sports was a big thing for me, and that's where I really experienced um, just what family was. That's how I identified with family. Uh, One particular experience that stayed with me for many, many years, I was in the eighth grade, so this would have been 1988. (laughs) How about that? Uh, This is 1988, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so... Our, at my high school, which my high school, it was eighth through 12th, right? So um, the coach, coach Abrams, he would allow, like some of the younger players to travel with the varsity team. And um, I mean, I was like just lit up. So me and my best friend Clarence, Clay, uh, he, he' let us travel with the varsity team. Now, the reason that they would do that was if they felt like you were going to start JV and then maybe you could dress out for varsity, they wanted you to be a part of the environment. Like he wanted you to see what the coaching was like. He wanted you to to see what that competitive environment was like at that level. But there were no free lunches. You had to be a water boy. So we didn't care, we were like, hey man, cool. We get to hang out with Floyd and Phil and Terry. I mean, these guys could ball. So we were in a tournament and we were playing against a team from the Atlanta Public School System, Brown High School, and they had a player by the name of Herb Jones. The guy is legendary to this day in the ATL, Herb Jones. And back then, this was was 88, so this was before social media. So you, like word would travel, right? If, if you grew up in the ATL and you were, you were a baller, like you went to certain courts where you knew the games were gonna be very competitive and so if you really wanted to play against the best players, you had to go to the ATL and, and play in, in, those, in, in those neighborhoods on those courts. And so you, but you heard about this guy named Herb. And so this particular night, our team was playing his high school, Brown High School. So we get there first, and you know there's a tournament, so there's a game going on, so we're watching the game. And then you could just tell something was happening. What was happening was Brown High School showed up. And it wasn't just Brown High School showing up, Herb was showing up. And I, I had never saw the guy, didn't know what he looked like, but when they walked in, I could have picked, I picked him out immediately. I said, that's him. Because he had that strut. He had that swag that said, I'm the best player in this gym and I know it and I know you know it so I'm like okay so uh, our coach he you know he 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 could feel it just everybody was who awestruck so he he pulled the team uh, off the bleachers and took us aside to to help the team reset and listen let me just tell you if 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 you ever want to Uh, Bring out the best or even the worst. And young men and men, all you have to do is serve them a plate of what smells like disrespect. And that's exactly what he did. He goes, look, just so you know, everybody in this gym tonight, they're here to see him. All you are is just an excuse for them to see him. What? (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, man, our guys, I mean, they rose to the occasion. I mean, they were like, okay, we're going to prove him wrong. And let me tell you, this guy was as good as advertised. He was the real deal. I've watched a lot of high school basketball players in my day. This guy was the best high school basketball player I've ever seen play. Uh, there was one play in particular. We were in a zone. And <clears throat> if you only think about a zone defense, which Summer can finish a sentence for me, it's very assignment driven. So you have an, you're assigned an area. You have a responsibility and every guy has to do his job. If you, if you fail in your assignment, it, it, it can lead to a score, right? So, so one of our guys got out of assignment and a crease open. And this guy took off and it was like watching somebody climb a flight of stairs. It's like he just kept going up and up and up and up, and I mean, threw it down. And it was like the roof came off the place. I was like, that's Herb Jones, man. <laughs> so he went on to play at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, he was a leading scorer on that team in 1992 that went to the Final Four. Uh, Herb actually passed away at the age of 51 two years ago. Uh, so, you know, I hate to 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 hear that. But um, we played them tough. We lost, but we played them tough. And after the game, we went to the locker room and were waiting for Coach Abrams to come in and address the team. It was so quiet, you could hear a pen drop. I mean, it was, these guys were, were crushed. They left it all on the floor. Nobody saying anything. And then all of a sudden, I hear this. <laughs> and I look and I'm like, it's Floyd. So if you if you knew Floyd, you talk you're talking about the picture of masculinity, and bravado, and swag, and loudness, and I was like, Floyd's crying. Floyd, I didn't know he had tears. And then once Floyd began to cry, that gave permission to everybody else to cry, or a few other guys who were studs like Philip Verlander it's like and you know what in that moment it was totally okay nobody was weak nobody was soft we were a team we were a family I was just the water boy but in the locker room that night I was part of a team I was part of a family I was part of a group that, that, I mean, we felt like we had gone to war against the world and almost won, and were devastated over the fact that we didn't get it done. I felt honored to share that bitter moment with my brothers. I was part of a family. I love working on a team, I do. I love working on teams, I love leading teams, I love building teams. Um, I I had no idea growing up how many lessons uh, translated biblically into what I'm doing now. Because anytime you talk about team, you talk about teamwork, you talk about family, uh, those lessons, they run parallel. It's a wonderful thing. Maybe you never played sports or you could care less about sports. And maybe you're like, "Okay, I'm so glad that story is over. But listen, if you are a part of the body of Christ, guess what? You're part of a team. You're part of a team. Maybe you can't dribble a basketball, maybe you can't throw a baseball or swing a golf club, but you're part of a team, and when you're part of a team, every member of that team has a role, has a responsibility, and the success of the team depends on every member knowing and doing their job. The team is only going to be as good as everybody fulfills what it is that God has given them to be and do on the team. It's critical. So I want to just look at some principles that good teams are made of, and, and uh, hopefully this will be an encouragement to us. But Romans 15, verse 30, Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And, my, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. So uh, Paul here is calling on the church at Rome to pray for his deliverance from antagonistic Jews in Judea. And then he also had concerns about if the church in Jerusalem would receive him. So he asked him to pray about that. And then he asked him to pray about um, him actually coming to get to see them. So this is what he is is putting before them to pray about. Um, I can't imagine... I can't imagine that they heard these prayer requests and said, "Okay, great, we're going to just go home and and we'll we'll pray for Paul at that time." You got to understand uh, what you and I are, are reading when, when we look at Romans 15. They would have heard it read to them. They there would have been a, they would have had a letter an epistle that was literally read to them. They didn't have the book of Romans in one volume called the Bible. So they would have heard the public reading of this, and then they would have actually had to corporately pray for him together. That's how this would have worked out. So, this is one of the many reasons why we exercise corporate prayer. On Tuesday nights, this is one of the reasons why we exercise corporate prayer. Uh, in our time together here in Life Fellowship. This is one of the reasons why we do that. In our life groups, it's biblical. But as it relates to our discussion today, I want you to notice this word in verse 30. Look at it again. That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul was in a struggle, and he was burdened. And he was asking them to carry that burden with him. How? In prayer. He was asking them to come together and pray. So here's one of the beautiful things that we observe about good teams. We observe togetherness. They are together. They stay together. Togetherness. He said that ye strive together with. That means to struggle in company with. To struggle in company with. So when there is a struggle, good teams, they never abandon one another, nor do they turn on each other. When there is a struggle, when there is a hardship, good teams, they, they, they actually, they galvanize. They come together. Good teams are, they are at their best in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, in seasons of distress. They circle the wagons, if you would. They stay together. After Paul had spent three weeks with the church at Thessalonica, he was run out of town by unbelieving Jews and ungodly men, and he left behind this infant church at Thessalonica that was in the furnace of suffering and struggle and hardship and affliction. But listen to a piece of instruction that he gave them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So, This church was not going to be comforted or receive comfort from the world. That's not how it was going to work. The world was actually persecuting them. I mean, they were being persecuted severely, so what was it that they had to do? They actually had to comfort one another. They they had to stay together, and they had to comfort one another. That's what they had to do. We have some special and very dear friends of ours uh, back on Long Island, uh, Marshall and Diane, and uh, uh, fairly similar to to the gangs, But when uh, Ken Kim, Kim was born, we didn't get to bring him home, and he was in the NICU for about a week, maybe a little longer. And I remember uh, they discharged Lori, and and you know here we are, we're parents for the first time. We just want to bring our son home, and we can't bring him home, and. They're running very serious tests, and we don't know uh, what's going on, uh, how, how severe this is, or anything like that. And I remember Marshall and Diane, they, they actually had a trip scheduled to Pittsburgh. They canceled their trip, and, and they brought us food, and they just came and they just sat with us. They just sat with us. I mean, our Ken was three days old. And I said, hey guys, look, we really appreciate it. Please go to Pittsburgh, we'll be fine. And Marshall, uh, in, in a New York way, that's nonsense, you know, and he shut that down. And, and uh, they just sat with us. We, I mean, we were, we were gasping emotionally, gasping. And I'm doing the best I can because, listen, I'm, I'm the husband. I've got to be strong, and I've got to make sure I lead Lori in this time, and I've got to put on the face. But, man, I was trembling. Like, my son is born, and, and uh, I want him to know that he has a family. He has a home. It's not this hospital and all this equipment, right? Uh, but Marshall and Diane, they, they came and, and just, just sat with us. And I'm telling you, they, they were like a medicine to us. They were like a medicine to our hearts. Um, I got word a few weeks ago, just like you all did, that that Jeff Lynch was uh, had a, a medical situation, and and when I heard it, I was trying to figure out how. Okay, how how can I get to Jeff and see him, and then make this appointment that I had on my calendar? I couldn't move uh, once I left Midtown, and before I could try and figure that out. Arnold was already at the hospital doing what? comforting Jeff and and Cynthia. Man, that's, that's a team. That's togetherness. That's what it looks like. Praise the Lord. Not only that, Life Fellowship was praying for our brother, right? I mean, Cynthia and the Lynch family, they felt that. Praise God. One of the issues today is that most people... We'll stay together if things are going well. That's, that's it, right? People are willing to hang in there and stay together as long as things are going well. Right? I mean, this happens in marriage. This happens in, right? Things are going well. I'm in. <laughs> but once they're not going well, once they're not fun, I'm out. When, not if, things get hard. That's when you really find out what you have. If you are in the body of Christ, here's what you need to know. Here's what I need to know. 1 Corinthians twelve, twenty-five and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So one of the worst teams I've ever seen in the world is actually found in the Bible. Because the worst, actually not one of, the worst team I've ever seen in the world was the team that was the church at Corinth. They were an awful team. Uh, Paul began this epistle to them talking about their divisions and contentions. They were a mess. They weren't together. They were divided. They were at one another's throats, suing one another in secular court and doing all kinds of things that were grievous to the Lord. They weren't together. Whether it be in times of suffering or times in rejoicing, good teams stay together. They do. They're not just in it when things are going good. Listen, listen, everybody loves a honeymoon. I do. We all love a honeymoon. But Lori can finish this sentence. Everything has a honeymoon. Everything has a honeymoon, right? Life fellowship had a honeymoon, right? You're like, yeah, that died a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Everything has a honeymoon, doesn't it? You get a new job, it's the greatest job you've ever had. And then a year later, it's not so great, is it? Everything has a honeymoon. It just does. But good teams, you know what? They stay with it. They're in it when the honeymoon's over. When there's adversity. When there's struggle. When there's heartbreak. When there's setback when there's disappointment, when there's disagreement, we're in. We stay together. We don't come apart. We don't work against each other. We don't beat ourselves. We got enough to deal with beyond us. The last thing we can do is fight ourselves. We got to stay together. Next, we go back to a verse that we just looked at a moment ago in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and we see this next thing about good teams. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So when you look at good teams, one of the things you observe clearly is edification. Edification. This is one of the things you observe. By the way, if you are a college basketball fan, if you've never watched the Iowa women's basketball team, you, if you don't buy me lunch soon, because, I, I mean, come on, I, I figure by now, I would, I would hear an amen something. Come on. <laughs> Summers, they are very, very good. This girl, Caitlin Clark for the University of Iowa, she will make you turn the TV on. This girl can play. I mean, she is legit, and they have a very, very good team. Um, but I love the meaning of this word edify. You know what it means? It means to be a house builder. It means to be a house builder. What a beautiful meaning. And if you consider something that is said in the book of Proverbs, it helps us to get a visual of what is being communicated in that meaning. Proverbs 14.1, every wise woman buildeth her house... But the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. So, metaphorically speaking, the wise woman, here's what she does she builds her house by building up those in her house. But the foolish woman, on the other hand, she tears down her house. How? By tearing down those in her house. See that? That's what you're looking at there. So here's an obvious takeaway. It is wise to edify others, but foolish to tear down others. That's a clear takeaway from Proverbs 14.1. It is wise to build up people, but it is foolish to tear them down. So let's be wise, right? Good teams, listen, They do not badmouth each other. They do not criticize each other. They don't talk about each other. They're not against each other. They build each other up. They encourage each other. You know, again, like I said, maybe sports is not your thing, but I will tell you this. Marriage, ministry... team sports I'm telling you they are you have to work together you have to be a team right Uh, husbands fathers what you want to do in your home is you want to create an atmosphere you want to create a culture of encouragement edification and you want to use your words to, to build up your wife, to build up your children. Don't be the kind of man in your home where when you open your mouth, it just sounds like poison is always coming out, where you're just complaining about things and nothing's ever to your liking and you're just always down and negative and you're just tearing down people and it just... Man, I've seen women who are the byproduct of that, and you know what? What I see, I see a fallen countenance, just because they're just run down and beat down. It's like everything is bad and wrong all the time. But oh my goodness! And listen, let me tell you, I, man, I, <laughs> in many ways, I'm telling you, Lori got the short end of the stick in this deal. Um praise God she came her father is uh is a is a a jovial lighthearted fun man. And I don't say that to 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 talk him down or to to say he's less of a man. It's just that he doesn't take himself overly seriously and uh he really just he enjoys the Lord, he loves his wife, loves his children, and he's just great to be around. He just is. Like my only critique against my father-in-law is hey, we're always together on Thanksgiving and, when you, and on Thanksgiving, football's always on and he just wants to talk <laughs> I'm like, man like so I'm sitting here like he's sitting here, and there's, people are sitting over here and they're talking and I'm like A game going on here, it's a really good game. They're talking about 350 engines and whatever. But you know what it is? He actually doesn't want to watch TV. He just wants to be with his family. He's like, man, I can do that anytime. I've got my family here. And I just want to talk. I just want to be with everybody. He's super encouraging. And so that that and so So I, in the early years of our marriage, I fought that. I'm like, listen, I'm not him. I I am not Luke Jane, and I will never be Luke Jane, don't have any interest in being Luke Jane. I'm Kenny Morgan, and this is who I am, this is how I do it. We're gonna be serious all the time. I'm a no-nonsense guy, I don't mess around, I like order, I like structure, that's how it was done. So we used to do this thing, and she... So early on, because I, I mean, I, I got to leave my family, right? That's what I got to do. And so, you know what? I'm going to spend time with my wife in the Word. So Saturday mornings, we would sit down, and we would have devotion together. I would let her go first out of courtesy, and then when she was done, it's like, man, fasten your seatbelt. Here it comes. And I would sit there... And I mean, I am just, I mean, I am just preaching the word to her because I read Ephesians chapter five. Christ washed his bride in the water of the word. I'm going to do the same thing. And so I went on one morning and and I'm thinking, man, I'm giving her the goods, man. I mean, she is so blessed. Look at who she married. (laughs) So I get done. and I was like, so, yeah, what what do you think? Thinking she's going to say, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I married you. Like, I've never heard such preaching. She goes sarcastically, so is there an altar call now? I'm like, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? (laughs) I'm like, who did I marry? That's your response to that? I had to learn the way that I'm going to encourage my wife in the Word, it won't be like that. It won't be through lecturing her and preaching at her. That's not how it's going to work. So I had some growing to do. You guys might remember this, but uh, uh, being a field goal kicker in the National Football League is one of the toughest jobs in the world. I mean, you, you can go from being the hero to the villain like that in the same game. Uh, one kick, you're a legend. The other kick, you're getting death threats. It's that serious. But uh, during the 2015 16 NFL season, there was a kicker from the Minnesota Vikings, Blair Walsh. He had made an NFL high 34 field goals that year. But in the playoff game that year, he missed a 27 yard field goal that ended their season game over. 27 yards. After that kick, he received death threats, social, I mean, he was probably the most hated man in the history of the state of Minnesota. But a group of first graders in Minnesota set out to encourage him by writing him letters of encouragement. First graders. I read some of these letters, the spelling was bad, they they misspelled words. Man, but the heart was amazing. He was so touched by their encouragement that he pushed his flight back the next day to go to that first grade classroom and thank those children for encouraging him. Here's what he said. He said, it was very touching to me. A lot of the cards were pretty and creative. I will cherish them forever. This is a professional athlete who is saying he's going to cherish the encouragement, the edification of a group of first graders. Amazing. Edification is very powerful. Obviously, building up those who are hurting is critical. And this is what we do, right? When someone is hurting, like when your spouse is hurting, when your children are hurting, when your brother, your sister, when they're hurting, man, we... We rush to encourage. We rush to edify. We rush to build up. That's what good teams do. For life fellowship to be a good team, we've got to be like those first graders. We we gotta be like them. Or man, we just we're edifiers. We're cheerleaders. You know, if I can tell you, I, I, I've got work to do as a leader. I, I'm, a, I'm a very unfinished product. Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always in the classroom learning of what I need to do, what I need to work on, what I need to, you know. But I think one of the things I, I'm realizing more and more and more is, and this happens, um, is just where I am too in terms of certainty and. Some of the things I'm going to be covering to the pastors and leaders there, but one of the things that happens in ministry over time is a lot of pastors get guarded. They they become guarded, and you know they you, they go through things, and there are experiences that aren't so pleasant. And if you're not careful in your mind, what you do is, and it's it's subtle, but you start stepping back because you 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 don't want to fight and you don't want to get hurt and so you 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 kind of you have your circle that you believe is safe and tight and secure, and you're like okay i'm I'm okay right here because if i if I step too far outside of it, uh, there are some landmines out there, but sometimes when you do that, what you're not trying to do is you are unintentionally sending a message to people that you don't care, which is not true. And so, one of the things that I'm learning about myself is that I've got to do a better job of making sure um, that, that I'm, I'm an encourager. That, that I that I not not just Lori, my children, and those that are that I feel really comfortable with, and are really close to me, and I trust. I can trust with my heart, but but. But that I, I, I make sure you know that I am for you. That I do love you. And I do care. <laughs> I do. Uh, greatly. And, um, but you can't do that from a distance, so pray for me. Okay, next. I'm watching the clock. This is getting a little longer than I thought. I thought this would be done in 15 minutes. It's not quite working out that way. Acts 2.42... And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. 246, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so uh, the early church in the book of Acts, they were together and they had a culture of edification. It was happening. But it says of them that they continued steadfastly and they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple and house to house and so one of the things that that tells us is that these folks were accountable to one another they had to have been with that kind of regularity they had to have been as a group they were all continuing so a word that we associate with good teams that you're gonna see is you're gonna see a culture of accountability a culture of accountability, where everybody on the team answers to everybody on the team. There's a code, there's a standard, there's a bar that we're all held to. Whatever the team is doing is what we're gonna do. Whatever the team is doing is what I'm gonna do. Wherever the team is going, that's where I'm going, because I'm part of the team, right? So I, played, uh, once I did play basketball in high school, And one of the things I learned about playing sports in high school was there were certain things I just didn't like. I mean, there were just certain. I mean, like it's one thing to play basketball in your neighborhood, playing pickup games. But when you are on a team, a structured team, there are practices, there are workouts, there are things that are just not fun. Um, This picture here, if you've ever played basketball, I'm telling you, this is a picture of death. This is called lines. I mean, that, that's a lot more polite today. Back then, they called them suicides. And that name is very appropriate. And so Coach Kitchens, man, he was, I mean, this guy, he was the best coach I ever played for, but he was the toughest coach I ever played. This guy was mean. He, I remember he had his thighs they would looked like tree trunks. He played college football. And we would start basketball practice. And what he would say is, all right, let's, let's go. And that meant you just lapped the court, and you couldn't cheat the lines. And what he meant by that is that the corners, like you couldn't like run, you had to stay outside. Anybody caught outside, you, you just, but here's the thing, he would never tell you how long you were gonna run. He would just bark at you the whole time while you're running. Don't even think about touching a basketball. That's the problem, nobody plays defense, just keep running, I'm gonna run, and you just, it's like, man, I'm never gonna stop running. It could be 10 minutes, just quiet. Nope, players aren't talking, guys are just running. But then lines, I remember I can still hear his voice. All right, on the line. So what that meant was when you do lines, like you see these guys, you start from the baseline and you go to the free throw line, back to the baseline, to the half court line, back to the baseline, to the free throw line on the other end, back to the baseline, and then to the baseline on the other end, back to this baseline, and he wanted it done in 30 seconds, or less. <laughs> Man, is this legal? <laughs> is this allowed? So the, the smaller guards like me, like, it was no issue. We, we could do it, it was hard, but we, we'd do it, it was the big guys. Guess what when you were done and you got to the baseline you became an encourager come on man Come on come on come on because you're watching like as you know if it's not done in 30 seconds All right back on the line I did not like lines I did not like lines there was never a point where I said coach can we do lines please But just because I didn't like lines and I didn't care for all the running, didn't give me permission to skip practice. I was accountable. I had to be there. I had to continue with the team despite things I wasn't crazy about. So how about this, on good teams, everyone is where they should be when they need to be. That's what you find on good teams. Everyone is where they should be when they need to be there. I knew every practice, every practice, we're going to run and we're going to do lines more than once. But you know what? Man, Clay, my best friend is here. Greg, a slick G. He's slick G's here. Everybody, there are, listen. There are guys. That I, there are guys that I grew up with. I can't tell you their full names. All right, June June, John John. Right? okay, Scooter, Scooby. Right. Uh, he was Derek Brown. I do remember his name because he hit my sister. That's a different conversation. But um, hey, w- we've needed to be. At the hospital, right? That's where we've needed to be. That, that's where we right? That, that's what's needed. I believe our business here on Sunday mornings is so urgent that we need to be here. It's urgent. If you are in a life group, I promise you, your life group leader, they want you there. They want you there. They love it when you're there. I get it. We're all hindered from time to time. I get that. But if you're part of a group, listen, when you're there, the group is better. Just your presence. Just your presence makes the group better. Just you being there, right? Um, okay, I'm watching the clock here and... My tablet is doing some wild things this morning, but that's okay. We're we're getting through it. Uh, Let me just say this. I do believe, and I think you would agree, that God does some special things when we're together, doesn't he? He does. Like, I can't think of a gathering that I've been a part of at Midtown where I've walked away and thought, well, that was a waste of time. God says something, God does something, where you walk away and you go... Okay, man, that was, I got something. I, the Lord ministered to me, right? Okay, finally, Titus 2, or Titus 3, verse 2. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So the final trait that we see in really good teens is the trait of meekness. The trait of meekness. Uh, the young man that you see in this picture carrying the football, uh, his name is Kendall, and he has Down syndrome, so he was the water boy for this youth football team back in two thousand and fifteen, and according to his coach, loved football, loved his coaches, loved his teammates, and just enjoyed being around the game. So the team came up with a way um, to get him involved in the game to get him involved in playing football so um, they they basically they went and told him, Hey, listen, we're gonna let you play and get you on the field. And the coach said, When I broke the news to him, he goes, I've never seen a kid light up like this kid did. And so the whole team came together and, and helped him put his equipment on, his thigh pads and, and shoulder pads and helmet and 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 all of that. And what he didn't know was they had designed a special play just for him. Kendall Wright. It was designed to get him right to the end zone. And he did. And so when he did, the crowd cheered and uh, there were many tears in the stands. His mother, Christy, said, it just melted my heart because they're kids themselves. After the play, Kendall said he was just glad to make his coach proud. It's pretty amazing. Those young men understood something that I'm afraid that sometimes as adults we don't understand. Or maybe we've overlooked, but here it is. On good teams, no team member believes they are better than or more important than anyone else on the team. No one thinks that they're higher, they're better, more important, anything like that. Philippians two, three, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. One of the strongest reproofs I ever received from the Lord in marriage. Came at about the five year mark of our marriage and, and the Lord revealed it to me through a marriage conference that we were going to at the time and, uh, and a conversation that I had with a dear brother in passing where we were having a conversation about marriage and he made a statement that he had no idea what he was saying but the Lord was speaking to me through it. But the reproof that God gave me was, and I I deserved it. I needed to hear it. And it was one of the, you know, you you have these turning points in marriage, right? This is this was a turning point for me. I've had a few, but this was a, a a clear, definite turning point for me. And it was this. I believed that I was intellectually superior to Lori. That's how I believed. I know more than she does. I'm intellectually superior to her. Um, And in that conference, in that conversation, uh, what the Lord revealed to me was, number one, I'm not okay with that. Number two, the reason I'm not okay with it is because that position is rooted in nothing but pride and arrogance. It cut me. And the reality is, is listen, whenever, whenever someone is in that position where they believe that they are intellectually superior to someone else, there's only, thing one, there's only honestly, one thing that happens after that, they become ultra-critical of that person that they believe is less than them. So because you're not on my intellectual level, and you don't measure up, so, so I just, I, I, I got a problem with that, I got a problem with that, I have a problem with that, and I have a problem with that. So now all you can see are their weaknesses and blemishes, not their strengths. Here's the reality. There were and there are some things that I knew and I know that she doesn't or didn't know and doesn't know. But guess what? There are some things... <laughs> That she knew, and there are some things to this day that she knows that I don't know. <laughs> there are things that she can run laps around me on. None of us are, um, are, 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 are omniscient, none of us are. None of us know everything, right? So let's stay in our lane, and let me tell you to this day, to this day, she is the best teammate I've ever had she's gold I could not do what I do without Lori Morgan man she is there are things that Lori knows in our home that I don't know (laughs) she's a wonderful teammate Not that you did it for me, but man, I was so and I have been so encouraged with how we've loved on our brother, our sister and their family. Because what I saw was I saw a team. I saw a really good team. Can we be a team? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I do pray that it will not return void in Jesus name. Amen.